really got to try on that left hand side. What happened? <laughs> oh, but I've gone up and over, and Marty had over biscuit. It was a, uh, it was, a, it wasn't enough stability there for myself. But um, no, I was busting for a bit of meat this game. It didn't seem to work out. Hello, cheers, and welcome, welcome to the Scrum of the Earth podcast, the weekly show that brings you news, reviews, great interviews, and so much more, all about the world of rugby union. As always, I'm David Lawrence. I'm an American rugby fan who follows the game all over the globe, wherever I can find it. If you'd like to get in touch, I would love to hear from you. I'm on Twitter at of Scrum. But today, we have yet another lovely bonus episode, this time featuring the triumphant, nay, the world-conquering return of the most famous man in Nottingham, except, of course, for that sheriff guy uh, <laughs> that we spoke about last time. And that man, of course, is the inimitable Mr. Will Owen. Will, how are you? Yes, very well. Uh, very good to be back. Um, as we were just saying off off air, that uh, I've been very busy across the Six Nations, and I feel like the time has felt right for me to finally return to Scrum of the Year. Ah. So thank you, David, for having me back. Well, we've missed you. Um, <laughs> so by the way, uh, to the listeners, Will asked if we could start our chat at 6 p.m. my time, which makes it 11 p.m. his time. So if any listeners out there are currently living in Nottingham, I advise you to string garlic on your doors, you know, too sweet. Uh, <laughs> sorry, Will, I'm just trying to keep my precious few listeners as safe as I can. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You've got to build up that sense of security where you try to please everybody, you know? <laughs> well, you know, the undead and the living, I can't really discern at this point from my own demographics. It's really hard to tell. <laughs> Look, there's a gap in the market for undead rugby podcasts. You're the first one to get there, man. Niche, I made it. Yes. (laughs) Uh, So in in case you are a brand new listener or somebody living under a rock, Will, of course, is a rugby writer and a podcaster. Only only speculatively just now, vampiric. And he's half of the, uh, well, I'm going to blow it if I try to say it. The retrospective one. can Can you tell us what that's called right now? The Squidge Rugby World Cup retrospective um i had to very slowly because the amount of times the other host on that podcast has screwed that up is uh (laughs) we lose count it actually kind of feels like that's part of the intro it feels like that's actually part of it yeah that's that's also fair yeah riffing on the same joke of oh we can't pronounce the name of our own podcast probably gets old after about 70 episodes but we still do it nope we've got very little material to go off (laughs) <laughs> and of course, uh, it's implied, I guess, but you're also heavily involved with the Squidge YouTube channel. I- I've heard there's a chance that that one, you know, might become somewhat popular at some point. Uh, <laughs> but I'm not sure what, the, you know, maybe this whole internet craze is going to go away anyway, right? Sure, yeah, yeah. I, I don't think the internet's going to last very long. But yeah, I mean, the uh, the success of the Squidge Rugby YouTube channel, uh, of course, happened way, way before I was anywhere near involved in it. And I have nothing to prove that the numbers haven't suddenly dwindled as soon as I've uh, I've gotten involved in the last uh, you know six months or so. Well, heavily involved that is. I was I was lightly involved for a long while beforehand, but my my involvement is now full time, uh, and everybody is going to disappear within months. <laughs> you mean when Fr- France wins the twenty twenty three World Cup and? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, we've just right now finished actually you guys have tickets that's right you've told me actually oh yeah yeah there is that yeah there is that i was gonna say we've just finished a video on france um just today which is going up as we record this tomorrow uh 
which we had this same conundrum last time, didn't we? Of, oh yeah, when's this going up? But <laughs> I, I guess chances are when you're listening to this, it will be out. Um, but sure. yeah, France are uh, in a very good place at the minute and it was a lot of fun going over their successes in the last two campaigns. Do you get to watch the top 14 all the time? Not all the time, but the good thing about the top 14 is that it kicks off later than most other. <laughs> I've heard this. That it's like, leagues. oh, well, it's midnight. I'm going to go to bed. Yeah. Oh, what do you know? Too long are play. That's it. And we're in the second half of, uh, yeah, like a, a punch up in the middle of a top 14 match in the second half somewhere. Uh, and we get to catch the end of that. And like, there's a lot of top 14 highlights do the rounds and stuff. So I don't regularly sit down and think, right, I'm going to watch the top 14 this weekend. But I do enjoy it when it comes on. Yeah. Well, since last time we spoke, you've actually been in action yourself. I mean, you are often, but um, you and several of the podcasters I also particularly enjoy, you played in a charity match, which I was pleased to be able to watch, thanks to you. Uh, can you tell us about that match? And more importantly, you know, who or what were you playing for and how that all went? I'm sure it's, it, it was uh, a boon for the charity you were working for. Mm, yeah, it, so it was, uh, yeah, I was very privileged to be involved in it. So um, it was for the Nick Giles Memorial Fund, who's not somebody I know personally, but he's somebody who was a friend of uh, Gavin, who organized the whole thing. Um, lovely bloke Gavin, um, who is acquainted with a lot of people such as uh, Steph, aka Grav from Rock and Roll, Sam Lana, another brilliant rugby writer, um, you know, the likes of Lee Calvert from Blood and Mud, uh, who we, we were all the people who played, um, Johnny McGinty from the Scottish Rugby Podcast, and was meant to happen, obviously, your good friend John Anderson. Um, yeah, he was out for the great guy. Day. Yeah, yeah, unfortunately didn't make it down. We, I only found this out in the changing rooms when uh, I said to Johnny, like, where's John today? And he said, oh, no, he's, he's, he's bottled it. He's gotten ill. Um, but, you know, but yeah, no, it was, it was, it was, a re it was really good um, being involved in that. I kind of got involved because I saw Sam talking about it and uh, he, kind of, well, he kind of mentioned it in conversation with me and I kind of asked him a bit more and he said, you can get involved if you want. And then a few messages later, uh, I'm playing at Scrum Off for them, which was, which was great. But yeah, it was a great cause. They managed to raise just over two, two thousand pounds, I think it was, um, nice. for uh, Melanoma UK, which was amazing. And That's excellent. Yeah, it's, uh, Southport RFC was where we played the first leg of the games. The a lot of the squad then went down and played in Halifax the following day, which must oh. have been brutal. Uh, I only played in the first leg. Along, what do you with, mean? Why would it be? Um, well, a lot of them hadn't played in a number of years, so playing two games. Oh, in just one playing weekend, two. Okay, I, I was yeah. like, "What's wrong with Halifax?" <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, but but yeah, no. So uh, yeah, myself, um, Grav, Sam, Lee, um, Johnny, we all played in the first leg uh, in Southport, uh, which is in the north of England, uh, and that was great fun. Um, like uh, a lot of the, you know, Lee hadn't played in about ten years. Grav hadn't played in about five. Uh, I hadn't played in about a week. Um, so we were all really hanging by the end of the game, you know, we were, we were all on really bad fitness levels, but yeah, it was, it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. I really, really enjoyed it. And it was great to see all of those in person and yeah, and get everyone out with all of them. So any chance of a, uh, a repeat performance of that? Uh, it sounds like you just mentioned, you know, it sounds like several players were a bit surprised to be reminded what actually playing feels like. Yeah. Uh, are you still sending flowers to various hospitals or sh <laughs> shiny balloons, those kinds of things? Yeah, yeah. Well, because Southport was an amazing rugby club. They they really their hospitality for us was was brilliant, and they said. 
at full time. Like, I hope this can be an annual fixture that we can play this, you know, Nick RFC game uh, once a year. And I would definitely love to do that again. Like, uh, as I say, like... Is that um, the recovery time about 11 months? Yeah, I think so. I think so. I think for a lot of people, it would be their one game a season and that's fine. Like, uh, I spoke to Lee at full time, as I say, Lee from Blood and Mud. And um, he said, like, you know what? That wasn't as bad as I thought it would be. Like, it was difficult, don't get me wrong. And I, I would hate to do that every week. But that was quite fun hmm. uh, and got through it. So, but no, all, all of those boys I mentioned and of everybody else who was involved all did, did very well. Um, we did, in fact, lose the game. But that's not relevant, is it? Oh, score schmores. <laughs> Absolutely. And, hey, yeah, who cares? We, we raised a lot of money. and um, Yeah, yeah, the we... score was £2,000, right? Yeah, exactly. That's no, that's one hundred percent it. Uh, and it was a, it was a fun, a genuinely fun, competitive game, um, as well. It played in a very good spirit, which made the whole thing worth it. You know, that's excellent. So I'm, I'm really glad it went well. Um, I, I wish I could have been there in person. You know, maybe mm. next time. Maybe if it does become hey. a yearly thing, I'll be there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, before we move off. on, though, uh, do you have a personal highlight? I have a feeling like there was some moment that day you must have been like. Oh, I can't believe I did that. That that was pretty good. Yeah, there was a couple. There was a couple. I I jokingly clipped together some some of the highlights and lowlights of the game uh, on Twitter, uh, like in uh, it, purely in jest. Because I, for anybody who knows me personally, like as a rugby player, I think like nothing of myself as a rugby player. So that was completely ironic. But then I realised afterwards, it kind of looked like I'm showing off. But <laughs> like the the thing that you can't see in that video is that. There's a kick that I did, which looks quite nice on the camera, but the opposition did score from it immediately. Um, so that was a low light. There was, there, was, there was one where we got a turnover just on our own try line. And I, I never do this in games. I do it when I'm playing touch and stuff, but I never do this in games. But I did a kind of like a goose step uh, to get around oh. somebody and then flung a pass to somebody in midfield. And we scored from it within a couple of passes, which is, hey. and like, that was from sort of 95 meters out, which is, yeah, I, not what I was expecting to happen. Cause usually, and I, I remembered specifically that the pass I threw was really bad and that the guy did really well to pick it up. And on the <laughs> video, you couldn't really see that. So it, you know, that made me feel good, but yeah. That's good stuff. Yeah, yeah, that's it, that's it. And there was there was another one that Sam and Grav kept praising me for, where effectively all I did was held the ball for slightly too long and then gave Sam a hospital pass, which he did really, really well out of. Um, <laughs> and they framed it slightly better than that by saying, oh yeah, we had great feet and great vision and everything. And it's like, no, 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 I just shat myself. Like, that's, that's what happened there. I was just frozen for a sec, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, it's funny because I have written down here thinking I was going to be all funny that I, that I would say, oh, okay, shall we talk a bit about, uh, a bit about rugby? But of course we just were. Uh, <laughs> so My answer to that question is usually no as well on podcasts. Uh, I know. And uh, you know, it's been great. Thanks so much. And uh, good night. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I did want to start with something good. So I've been a fan of Sam Davies. It's funny, uh, I have to say, as an outsider watching Welsh rugby, a guy whose name is Davies is sometimes Davis, and like Mm. the spelling doesn't always equate necessarily. No, no. It's always Davis, it seems. So Sam Davis or Davies, as long as I've been watching rugby, I've loved that guy. He got his Mm -hmm. 1,000th point this past weekend or whatever day they sort of sandwiched that one into. 
Can you please give me your take on him? I've been pounding the podium saying he should be playing for Wales. I think he's got one cap. Am I just a, a dummy? Am I missing something? Uh, he's got a handful of caps. I think he's got sort of like five or six caps. Okay. But yeah, he so he was really promising as like a, as a kid. His dad played for Wales as well, which helped. Um, so his dad was a, a, a former coach called Nigel Davis, uh, who and I've said Davis, not Davies. Okay, um, I'm, I'm Davis. learning. Yes, uh, that that that's my take on that spelling of that surname. That's what um, here. Yes, but he was a really promising youngster because his kicking game was so good. Like um, ever since he was a kid. And then when he was playing for the Ospreys, he was really learning from Dan Bigger. Uh, and he was seen as like the more attacking option between him and Dan Bigger. Okay. Um, then Bigger went to Northampton and he went to the Dragons and basically just lost a lot of his form um, okay. because he's not as big an attacking threat as he probably used to be. He's not as fast, certainly, as he used to be. But he still has got a good boot on him. Like, and he still does manage games quite well. And frankly, like my take on him to kind of sum it up, if he's Wales's fifth or sixth choice fly half, they could do a lot worse. It's pretty good. Yeah. It's funny because when I, I don't know, I conflated him with a few other players at one point. And then at one point I had seen a Wales match, then I went back and watched a Dragons match. And I was like, mm. oh, he's, he's much smaller than I thought. Is he not internationally sized? Is yeah. that a disadvantage for him? Yeah, uh, uh, not especially, I don't think, because I think some of the players like, like Jared Evans is above him in the pecking order and he's probably they're probably similar weights, okay. I guess. Um, so I don't really know on, on on that front, but like there is like, there's a lot of qualities to Sam Davis that make you think he would take to test rugby quite well, actually, because I think it was his second cap off the bench. He scored a winning drop goal. Uh, mm. when he'd been on the wow. pitch for about five minutes. Oh, and God. usually, you know, if you stick a young kid on one of his first caps into that, they will, like, they, they will screw that up quite badly. <laughs> yeah. um, or whereas, not try it, I would think. Yeah, that too, that too. Whereas, it, and granted, it was the winning drop goal against Japan before Japan were, like, really good. Sure. Um, in a game where Wales had played very badly. But still, it would... It, took a bit of good temperament nonetheless so uh, yeah i imagine that if you threw him in he wouldn't let wales down so I'd, he's an interesting option uh, sam davis but i'd sadly think he's quite far down the pecking order is it too far down is he he's what i think 28 29 now mm. something like that is it late yeah is it too late for him um probably to be like the established person to take us through the world cup and stuff if he, if but... he had left the dragons and gone to a, a really really good team that was just winning all the time would that have made him look better would that have changed things in the ways you know in Definitely. the eyes of Pivak yeah. or something? i th i think so i think particularly with uh wayne Pivak, it's one thing that he's he just he loves players who are playing well overseas right there's one thing he absolutely adores like uh nick Tompkins <laughs> was like one of the first players he called up there's like, callum sheedy he's obsessed with callum sheedy and like I will confess, I am one of the people who just does not get Callum Sheedy. Really? Like, I know that there must be, that, well, there definitely are so many huge plus points around Callum Sheedy as a rugby player, but well, I just he, don't get he, it myself. He, when he's about to take a kick, he doesn't waste time. It's one of my favorite very things. Very true. Hard to it's very true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but I don't know, man. Like, there's, there's like, the game against Italy for Wales this year, which we lost, where Callum Sheedy just came on seemingly well through that one pass that went horribly like into touch mm. and then seemingly just went through the rest of the game just aiming to do nothing um mm. and the, the comparison i made 
Do you remember an old Italian fly half called Kelly Haimona played about five or six years ago for them? So Kelly Haimona so. was, uh, I think he was either an Australian or New Zealander. I think he may be coming across from rugby league. Uh, I, uh, my knowledge of his background isn't great, but he came <laughs> over and was thrust into the Italian team because he, they basically didn't have anybody really able to play 10. Um, and he was clearly quite a skillful player but had no idea how to manage a game or any of that and just took no responsibility. Okay. So there was one point when, and you might have seen this, uh, Italy were losing by one point to France away in Paris and the clock had just entered the red. Um, they'd just gotten into their half and they're all going, right, okay, the fly-off needs to step up and take the drop goal here. And the, he, the fly-off being Haimona hadn't organised the play or anything. The uh. centres and the fullback were purely doing it themselves and getting themselves going forward, trying to engineer a position. And the ball goes back into the pocket and you're thinking like, right, okay, this is going to be interesting to see how this goes. And it's Sergio Parise taking the drop goal to win okay. the game. Uh, and he misses it because he's number eight. And granted, he's one of the <laughs> best, most skillful number eights in the world, but he's a yeah, number eight I, I want him doing anything and, but that. Yeah, exactly. And like, I've seen him obviously slot drop goals before, but they won't have engineered, you know, getting into right. the right position for him to be the man who takes the drop goal because Haimona was just that reluctant to have any responsibility. Wow. And Cal Callum Sheedy against Italy really reminded me of that. Oh, that's dire. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and like, I love Sergio Parise and maybe he was the best man to take that drop goal because I don't think it would have gone well for Haimona, but it was a pretty ugly look for him as an international fly half. Wow. Yeah, that, uh, wow. It, it's mm. funny because I was about to say, that's kind of like, okay, Marcus Smith, get out of the way because here comes Alec Dombrandt for the winning kick. <laughs> but of course, this past weekend, I guess, uh, <laughs> makes that a silly comment. Yeah, no, very true. Very true. <laughs> but uh, I mean, yeah, people give uh, Marcus Smith a hard time, of course, uh, after that weekend. But then again, on other weekends, people give him quite the opposite of a hard time. So there's, yeah, you, yeah. you can't, there's no way of saying Marcus Smith had an all right game. It's yeah, impossible. Yeah. <laughs> he's either the best player in the world or he's completely ruined his life and everybody else is around him inexperienced smith fails england again yeah yeah and it's like it's, it's almost like, well, like he's just a talented young kid who's learning how to manage games i do love this it, it seems to bounce right off him. i mean i don't like i don't follow these people in the tabloids yeah. or even on instagram really like i, I don't care where they go with their girlfriends in the off season and stuff like sure yeah but like it seems to bounce off him i don't i don't see his reactions game to game marcus smith yeah. always seems like he feels like he's the most talented guy on the on the pitch and is going to do what he wants to do yeah that's what i really like about him to be honest is the fact that, that he's not it. been caught up in any of this uh hype that comes around him because like during the six nations itv in particular were relentless in just constantly lumping really? on him of just like oh yeah you're you know th this guy's you know the man's taking them forward and, and just constantly talk about how amazing he is and the the impressive thing is that he seemingly didn't let it get to him and i don't think he has and he seems like a really grounded young kid yeah uh, and he did genuinely improve with each game during the Six Nations. And the, I, I recently discussed this on Blood and Mud that, like, I think Eddie Jones really knows what he's doing, trying to develop him um, mm. going ahead to the World Cup. That, like, he knows what George Ford and Owen Farrell can do. And they will be able to do that if they don't play a minute between now and the World Cup. Whereas Marcus Smith needs to learn and learn the hard way. And he is actually doing that because he's clearly got a very good attitude to play international rugby. Well, they really need to get Owen Farrell back in, in that camp, at least, just mm. to teach Marcus how to high tackle people. 
Yeah, that's very true. It's very true. Yeah, there's there's always a lot of jokes about Owen Farrell's tackle technique or wherever you go. I know, I know. That's the one thing you can't avoid on the internet. <laughs> I know. Even I, on the other side of the ocean, I'm like, hey, that guy likes to high tackle. Yeah, look, he's an easy target. Look at him. Yeah, I mean, it's his face. Like you, you want him to, <laughs> you want him to do something wrong, so you can be like, ah, that guy. Uh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's there's been a lot of conversation about Owen Farrell this weekend because like he played really really well for the saracens against cardiff this weekend and like people have kind of like an irrational hatred for uh owen farrell and yeah. um, the- andrew ford who's a, another brilliant uh youtube um rugby guy who uh like does like all the compilation clips and everything mm. um put, made the point of like no owen farrell is not nearly as hateful as everyone makes out to me you're just all like everybody's just really jealous because we all wish we had him on our team because he's so competitive uh, and it's so true because like he's such a good game manager and everything. Like yeah, yeah. yeah he's brilliant. No, I, I hate him, but if he was on my team, I would immediately make him captain. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Hundred percent. Like he's he's unbelievable. Like as a as a sporting character, you don't really get much better than him. Uh, because of like yeah, just the, the compa- competitive nature in him is so inherent uh, yeah, and yeah. so natural to him, and I find him fascinating it's funny too when you have somebody who plays at the international level whose dad also played at the international level is now coaching at the international level you just feel like these guys have to have an extra sort of level an extra tier of wisdom almost or Mm. like some sort of insight that you just can't there's no other way to get that right yeah there's um one that i find particularly uh, fascinating is uh Karis phillips who plays hooker for wales sure so her dad roland phillips was um used to be the wales co- women's coach um and coach he's coached other, other places like aroni uh he's coaching wales and stuff and i, th- I think he played uh, you know professional well not professionally but like t- uh, top tier rugby you know um and she will have grown up with that her whole life and obviously being is is an exceptional hooker um and she was wales captain like basically as soon as she came in she was made captain uh and did a brilliant job and i always noticed this was long before wales were any good um that she was always the one driving the standards and Mm. always like (laughs) it's one thing that like she was always the most aggressive in the way she spoke like whether that's to her teammates you know to the opposition to the referee any of it she she always had like a real aggression to it and still does uh, I really like the way she carries herself. I find her fascinating because, like, she's clearly grown up with the competitive nature around her the whole yeah, her yeah. whole life. And like, I remember the first ever post match interview I saw her do. She dropped an f bomb inside the first like sentence. Um, and like, it's it's because she's so fired up and uh, and yeah, she loves it. She loves the privilege of playing for a country, and she's understood that the whole time. And yeah, you're right. There is something about those familial connections, which is just great to kind of pick up on. Well, it's funny. This is actually, I'm, I'm skipping way ahead my little script here, but um, is, are the Welsh women in a better position right now than the Welsh men? Yes, I would say so. I, uh, It's interesting because like, I've obviously supported the Welsh men a lot longer than I have supported the Welsh women, like as closely as, as I do now. Sure. But I now feel at a point where, and I think it's important that we as rugby fans are always are honest about, um, you know, when we're getting into women's rugby and stuff, because naturally the, the men's game is much bigger uh, and we all want to, to learn more about the women's game and stuff. And I think it's important that we, we progress it at, at our own pace, you know, but like now I find myself in a point where I genuinely feel like I support the two equally, which is which is feels great on one hand because I I love this current Wales team of the women. Like uh, they have 
such a good environment, which is, you know, a credit to Johan Cunningham as the head coach and Shivan Lillicrap, the captain. Um, and just the players generally clearly have a really good vibe because um, there's so much less pressure on them than there is the men. Uh, and there has been for obviously ages, but now that they've got a bit of support, they've got a bit of money behind them and they've got better coaching behind them and everything, great facilities and so on, that the vibe then became all out development. Let's make mm. sure that we're just getting better all the time. And that happened in the autumn. Um, you know, we had wins over South Africa and Japan, which was brilliant. And we gave Canada a half, you know, a, a good half, a good first half, and then crumbled in the second half. But Canada are a great team uh, who can't expect to, to beat yet. And then to come away with not only a competitive game, but a win out in Ireland just felt inspiring. Um, mm. and then backing that up with a win of a, a well-performing Scotland team now just feels like they can, they can do anything. And like going ahead to, to France next week, it's something I'm so excited to see them play. And like, again, seeing them play against Italy the, the week after that, that's now become what, what you were thinking before, like, oh, that would be good if we could, you know, potentially win that. And that's now become a must win because the standard just keeps rising and rising as the weeks go on and yet so being a supporter of wales is much more pleasant when the women's six nations is on than it is when the men's are on it's funny i think we've talked before that i have a friend who's in the usa eagle hall of fame she played in the first two mm. women's world cups okay yeah and uh she's one of the most incredible people i've ever met um and at one point you know so i was lucky enough to work with her in my normal sort of day job and uh so I was constantly annoying her with questions <laughs> and peppering her with my little, yeah, yeah. Like, wait, what about this? And, and, uh, and one of the things I asked her at one point was, it's weird to me when you, you know, you watch, you're watching a rugby match and it's, you know, they're playing in bath and it's raining and basically the entire pitch is six inches of mud. And then you go into the locker room and you come back out wearing the same kit, like, you have replacement kits. Like you, you could change, you could take a shower and everyone comes out wearing the caked in mud thing. And I was like, why is that? And she was like, I don't know what you're talking about because we didn't have locker rooms and stuff. Like we, we just stood on the pitch and just let it rain on us. You know, wow. so there was no such thing, <laughs> but the, uh, the state of the women's game now is, is becoming so much more high profile. And uh, I feel like you're doing a lot to do that. Uh, you know, the blood and mud and mm. in the Scottish rugby pod, it's really becoming a thing. I think so much so that it penetrates here into the U S which is shocking to me. Which I That's think great. Awesome. Yeah. There's such a buzz around it. And like seeing it's like it's front page news on like BBC rugby stuff. Now that it's talking, talking about the red roses and you know how much depth they have and so on. Like when is this a team as good as this current England team? It's worth talking about. Yeah. It's, it's one of the greatest sporting achievements you'll ever see is how far they're coming. And yeah, the word is really, really spreading around about uh, how much the game's growing and stuff. And I think the, the biggest part of that is that none of, none of us are making this up of uh, how much we're enjoying it. Like, we're, it feels so genuine. Like, and the, as I say, like, if I'm completely honest, there, there was probably a point a few years ago where I felt not disingenuous supporting Wales, but it didn't feel as natural as it did with the men's team. Whereas now it just does. It doesn't feel yeah, like yeah. I have to pretend at all. Um, because I genuinely have the same attachment to these players now. Yeah. Um, and that will continue to grow because like 
all of these players, like with the men, like I've had more opportunities to watch them week in, week out from the clubs and from when they were in twenties and so on. Whereas I haven't yet had that with the gener- a generation of the women's team. Mm-hmm. And as I really hope that that carries on and that um, I can continue to watch the next generation of the women's team. And like, obviously with the men's six nations, uh, I know, you know, all the players, all the reserves and all of the teams and the, the players that if somebody gets injured, who might come in and so on. And I'm not yet at that point with the women's. I, I, I know that with Wales and I know that with England and, you know, a lot of positions in the other teams and stuff. But like, you know, I don't know who Ireland's third or fourth choice scrum half is, you know, sure. uh, and I hope that the word gets more and more widespread to the point which that becomes common knowledge among rugby fans. It, it seems like it's as simple as just exposure, just because. Yeah. That's like, it. like it's hard to find rugby in the United States at all. Uh, yeah. But women's rugby was impossible, but now it's almost equally easy to find and they're right next to each other on the list. And as soon as you watch, that's all it takes. You don't have to be like, should I watch the women's game? You, you just want to watch the next game. And that's it. it. And yeah. it's that good. Like it's, you know. Yeah. And like, you'll always get idiots online who say like, oh yeah, no one cares about the women's game. It's not as good as the men's game. And it's like, well, no, it didn't used to be as good as the men's game, and that's fine. But now it is because you know the the level of coaching is is great, and everyone, they're they're all running the same structures that the men do, um, mm. and you know they're running at similar tempos, and the physicality is so much higher than it ever used to be. That the sta- the standard of certainly international women's rugby is through the roof now. Like, um, the, I think this the the, the, Eng- the current England team would would batter most men's club sides and yeah i know that there's things to be said about physicality and you know like literal dna like literal physiological things to, to tour the mlr teams and see what yes happens. yes that would be the most wholesome set of games ever <laughs> and like look we've established before both in and outside of this podcast that mlr is the best league um Thank and you. I, it's, it, I only speak in facts and <laughs> I, I regularly Two uh, in the office with unicorn my brother. Unicorn Festival. To, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You were there on Unicorn Day for the Free Jacks, oh, weren't yes. you? Yeah, was... yeah. That's the dream. There's, yeah, so um, me and my brother regularly speak about this. And we literally did this a day in the office talking about um, like ranking the best leagues. And we said that MLR is the best league and the Premier 15s uh, is the second best league. Um, so, yeah. so I've heard you say this before, and you said something about you know lots of the you know the the biggest wonks I know in rugby are talking about MLR more than anything else, and I I had to say I was like, are you, are you being a little sarcastic right now? Are you like is that a an ironic? I love MLR. Unironically, I love MLR. Okay, and like the the, the thing is though because like. There is, to be fair, no, there, there probably is like a shred of irony to the reasons why I love MLR so much. Okay. Because like, it's funny that you get like a 40-year-old Ma Nonu playing there who used to play for the All Blacks and Andy Who's Ellis still, still really going good. and so on. Who is still really good, yeah. Um, and, you know, there are, there are certain aspects to MLR that are funny, but that doesn't mean that my enjoyment for it is any less genuine. Mm. Um, like, I, I love that league and I love watching it. And because it feels so much um, less kind of pressurized for me as a, as a watcher that I can just enjoy it completely guilt-free. Like, uh, and also another thing is obviously growing up in the UK, I'm so much less used to American broadcasting of sports. Oh, yes. So like there was <laughs> something that, um, I, again, this is something else I brought up on Blood and Mud before where uh, somebody was pitch side on the, on like a Nola Gold game. And, um, 
I'm thinking against the Free Jacks, actually. Um, and the, 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 the lady who was pitch side said that uh, Carl Meyer signed for them on the condition that uh, he would go on the old billboard to get really pal- pay- well paid and they'd find him a nice southern woman to marry. And it's all come, the prophecies all come no true. Way. Um, and it's just that, like, I, I find stuff that. like that brilliant because you wouldn't hear that in the Premiership where it's also <laughs> like, oh, yes, we're here. We're here for another rough round of the Premiership where we're all going to batter each other. And, you know, instead we get that. And I just love it. Like, as it's like, and there's 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 ironic reasons behind it, but my love for MLR is so genuine. Well, and I, I think you will appreciate how how difficult it is. Like, if so, if you're on comms for MLR, yeah, and half of your fans or whatever percentage are people who are Americans who are like, so what is this? I've just clicked on this mm. for the first time. My friends tell me it's like football, doesn't really look like football. And another huge percentage of your fans are diehard rugby fans who've been playing their whole life, know the rules uh, in and out, like where to walk that line of like, so that's what we call a try versus, Mm. versus, okay, here's how how a line out works, like deciding where you're instructing and where you're just calling. That must be a really, really tough walk. Yeah, I think that MLR's coverage is actually really, really good on that with that in mind, because they often do uh, make kind of comparisons either to other sports or just other things generally. Sure. Uh, like the kind of the metaphors that they'll throw in there. Yeah. The, are really, they're really on the apt. mission to bring in new fans. So they're like, yeah, it's, it's like you're hockey. It's like you're this. It's like you're that. Yeah. And that's what I really like because like rugby in the UK is so like up itself and kind of like, <laughs> oh, yeah, for, you know, this is why rugby so much better than the other sports. Whereas, the MLR coverage is like, you know, I don't know if you're usually uh, an NFL fan, but this is something that would work in NFL that would also work in rugby. And they, they explain it in a really oh, yeah. positive manner. Um, this is basically a kickoff. Right. That was a touchdown. Yeah, yeah that, exactly. That was an interception. Like, that was a fumble. Yeah. Yeah. And there's, there's something I really like about it because they're really good at explaining things in basic terms in a way that people who are diehards would still appreciate and yeah i I really enjoy that about the majority of mlr coverage um and i i mean i listened to your recent interview with dallin stanford oh he's he's amazing wasn't that great phenomenal like uh, i could listen to that man all day like the amount of I mean, firstly, the amount he of just, he just finished uh, the, the, Vancouver, the Vancouver Sevens. In fact, he was just up there, and he does it all. Yeah. Oh, he's brilliant. He's brilliant. Um, my favorite Dallas Stanford line was um, in the 2019 Rugby World Cup when he said, "Corbett Reinach is more dangerous than climate change," which is just phenomenal. Like the thing is, he says that something like that in every game he commentates on, yeah. which makes you think they're all genuinely improvised. Like he's not got them written down and stuff, or else like it would be relentless. Um, and I, I, I love that guy. He's, his coverage, his commentary is just perfect. Well, I, I think I told you about that, that day, my partner and I had the same day off and we were like, you know what? I'm pretty sure the free jacks are, are training today. Cause it's a weekday and they're supposed to. Mm. So we're just going to go to Quincy. I have a vague idea where they train. We went and found their facility, just found it. And we're like, Oh, look at those huge mm. guys going into that building. That looks like it went in there, you know, <laughs> like, Slade McDowell opened the door for me. He was like, oh, come on in, buddy. And stuff. <laughs> and like, got to meet Bodine Waka. I got to meet all of some of my heroes. And then they were like, oh, by the way, uh, because it's a nice day out for a change, we're going to go actually to our stadium and, and train on the actual field. So if you want to go down and watch, that's cool too. Then went oh, down that's there. That's amazing. 
and so I got to watch them doing lineout practice and stuff. But I'm obsessed with lineouts now for some reason. I'm just like, <laughs> I, it's so it seems so complex to me. And like once you see it in person and see how how long the long mm. lineout throws are, it's like oh geez, this is a this is a whole extra game within the game. Yeah, but, but are you just, just you... walking around? There's Dylan Stanford just walking around, and I was like, oh, hey, no I, kind of, I kind of waved. That's all it took. He was like, boom, the smile comes on. He comes over. He's like, hey, what's going on? Oh, what a guy. What a guy. That's, that, that's how him. we ended up uh, on the, with him on the pod. He's oh, oh, that's amazing. That's brilliant. I was going to say, do you, do you, have you played much rugby in the past? I've never, ever played rugby. I didn't discover it until really? like six years ago. And uh, I feel like I'm too fat and blind to play. So, I mean, I'm still going. So <laughs> I don't think you are. <laughs> well, I, I don't think you can play with glasses on and I, I don't qualify for contacts. And that that's kind of my biggest thing is uh, I do think you probably want to see before, you know, somebody is about to smash you. That's true. That's true. But also, yeah, out of sight, out of mind. <laughs> yeah. Maybe it's better that way. A yeah. little, little looser when the hit comes in. You don't, yeah, exactly. You don't tense exactly. Up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm sure that when we eventually get you in for one of these charity matches, I'm sure you'll be fine. <laughs> Well, I, I had to talk with somebody once and he, he said, hey, all you have to do is just hit rucks. Just hit rucks. Doesn't matter if you can see or not. Just hit rucks. Very if you can true. do that, you can play. Yeah. Very, very wise words. <laughs> so uh, before we started talking, I, I decided I wanted to learn a little bit more about your own rugby watching habits. Uh, so I hired a guy. No. Oh, okay. No, <laughs> <laughs> no just, just kidding. He, he actually volunteered. No. <laughs> Uh, but seriously, so so th this has been a, a brand new season for a fully rebranded league, the URC I'm talking about, of course, and uh, I've been en enjoying it, you know, uh, once the four to six weeks at the beginning had sort of fled my memory, I've been enjoying it fully since then. What do you think? I, have you been enjoying what you've been seeing this year? Uh, yes, I think so. I think so. It's It's one of those things like uh, the URC this season has, has been a funny one to follow, I think. It's been weird. And, uh, yeah, uh, it might just be because every time the league like rebrands and like reshuffles the way it, it's all done, I always find it so much more difficult to follow. Also, any league that is done in conferences, I just because I, I can't get behind conference systems at all. Oh, okay. It's just something I don't really? get on with in, in sporting like circles. So when a, t a league is done in conferences, I just don't pay attention to the tables until like the very end. So genuinely, I didn't know until yesterday where any of the Welsh teams were in the tables because I just don't check. Oh. Um, like, I, I get a vague idea of like, oh yeah, the Ospreys have won more games than the other Welsh teams, for example. And it probably doesn't help that I don't have one team that I like support yeah, in yeah. in the URC, of course. You know, there there is the San Diego Legion in um, in MLR and. Yeah. Long eaten second that could, team. That could be a whole separate Middens. podcast because uh, yeah, those guys confuse yeah. me a lot. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, no. Generally, I am enjoying the URC. Um, to to answer your question in the most shorthand way possible. <laughs> so, uh, by the way, oh, I I had to make sure I I told you about this because this I don't know why this just seems right up your alley. So, I was just digging around, as I've said, like finding rugby coverage at all is impossible so i have to go digging and looking at and of course you know the urc's official website uh, not the not the most robust and currently <laughs> accurate at all times of course but, but i found something i don't know why i think this is so funny 
So if you go to the URC website and you go way down to the bottom, it has the, you know, the micro links and there's the about, about the URC link. Okay. If you follow that, it brings you to the page that tells you the, the rules of the competition, the format hmm. and all that stuff. But then one of the things at the banner says, zoom backgrounds. And I was like, Hey, look at them. Like, that's kind of cool. I kind of want to get these. Uh, maybe I'll download some of the, go ahead and click on it. There's one. Wow. There's, there's Does it one. just say United Rugby Championship in the background? Is that it, all it is? It doesn't say that. It is a black and gray uh, sort of <laughs> hodgepodge of all the logos. I think that's what they were trying to do. It's like an intern had the job of making it and he was like, quit. I quit. <laughs> <laughs> that's incredible. It's awesome. I, I didn't realize that was a thing that brands were doing, putting uh, Zoom backgrounds in their info pages. But I'm here for it. I'll I'll try and save. I know. I was ready to download. I I had my my left click ready to go. I was all set. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, it's it's definitely something that you can make a collection of. <laughs> so, I listen to a ton of content in, in terms of podcasts and stuff, and I'm always hearing people disparaging the URC compared to the Prem in particular. But right now, the Prem is in its usual thing where they're arguing about promotion and relegation. Um, it seems like there's always just all these extra problems that go along with it. Uh, is the URC equal to the Prem right now? Um, this past year, uh, actually, when I had Lee, who you've mentioned on, um, I, I asked him because the URC's budget has sort of gone up for salary cap while the Prems mm. had gone down. And I was like, oh, is this the equalizers? Are we going to see some parity here? And he said, uh, in a word, no. <laughs> <laughs> Which was all <laughs> the only word I got out of him on it. And uh, I mean, do you see these leagues close to each other? I mean, Glasgow beat Newcastle, though Newcastle's not great this past weekend. It, as a, an outsider viewer, they seem pretty close to me. It depends on the weekend, right? And, uh, you shouldn't have stuck the word right on the end of that because I could then have just said, in a word, no. Ah. Uh, leave it as <laughs> okay, an open question. Two. That way I have to give you a proper answer. Um, <laughs> but yeah, um, uh, what was the question again? Yeah, are these, t are these leagues relatively equal? So y yes and no. It's, it's a weird thing. I think that the... I, we kind of covered before the kind of psyche of like, the, certainly from a Welsh perspective, we always play ourselves down. So naturally, I think that when we're not even the ones to blame, we're always going to claim that the, the URC is rubbish. And let's be honest, like when you're in a league with like 70 other nations now, it seems, uh, there's always going to be certain people who Come are on, it's like 68. About it. Come on. Yeah, sorry, sorry. Yeah, I mean, a 69 country league is pretty nice. Um, but yeah, it's, I don't know, it's one of those things that nobody's ever going to be fully comfortable with it either way, because uh, people always complain about either there's too many Welsh regions or there's not enough Welsh regions. Sure. Or same with Scottish teams, Irish provinces, whatever. Um, so in a way, uh, the URC is very, very different from a league like the Premiership, but also, you have to kind of think about it as like, well, we are a collection of smaller rugby nations uh, than England. So do we want it to be similar to the Premiership? Because hmm. it can't really be. Like, logistically, it can't be because, you know, it, it's it's so different as a <clears throat> dynamic. That's interesting. So within the URC, you know, what's your take on the 
<laughs> in my notes, I don't know why I wrote it this way. I said the new formatty stuff, you know, like the <laughs> the so-called shields. You've I think you've already expressed your uh, your dislike for divisions and and conferences and stuff like that. Um, but I'm, I understand that these new divisions. Uh, I've been call, I, was, I was talking to John Anderson and and uh, Craig Manson earlier, and we we've dubbed it the uh, the Haggis Cannoli Shield, for instance. <laughs> um, but those results now impact your Heineken Cup qualifications. Mm, is, yeah. is, that, is that a good thing? Is that fun? Uh, do you think that that's a way that the URC has sort of insinuated itself into the EPCR tournaments in a new way? Mm, you know, sure. what do you think about that stuff? Yeah, I, I'm, a, I'm quite a fan of the new formatty stuff that's coming out, actually. I think that, <laughs> um, no, I, I, I do think that that I've seen the new proposals about the whole uh, promotion relegation thing that they're, they're uh, suggesting. And you know what? I don't really mind that as a thing. I think that um, there's a lot worse changes that could be made to whatever sports leagues are out there. And um, it might mean bringing in some really random teams into the ORC by the sounds of it. I saw that the potentially they're thinking about bringing in like a Kenyan team or something, really? uh, which is, yeah, into like the lower division. Um, I huh. might have also misread that for something I mean, completely different. But to be fair, yeah. they, they'd beat Zebra. Yeah, that's also true. Also true. Uh, and let's be honest, they probably beat the Dragons. So, uh, yeah. But it's another tight it. one. <laughs> yeah, the yeah, yeah. Is facing Kenya. Yeah, and uh, I mean, yeah. Um, I would be in favor of a second division in the URC because huh. it would mean Cardiff winning some games. Mm. They they scored was it thirty three or thirty four against the Saracens this weekend and like yeah no they, they had a really good game to be fair um, yeah yeah Thomas Williams was on fire like um it was it was great to watch him going toe to toe with like a lot of the best players in the world um and a Welsh scrumarth who is like three or four below him in the pecking order for the international team but no it was, it was really really a really good game it must have been I mean it must be cool for some of these the young Welsh players who are getting chances this year especially in mm. the, the, the weird nonsense games, you know, during yeah. the, the early Omicron weirdness, like, uh, yes. Some players are never going to see those shirts again. It must've been incredible for them this year. Yeah. Yeah. There was, um, when Cardiff played against Toulouse earlier in the year, they brought primary school teacher off the bench at hooker. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Evan Yardley, I think his name was that, uh, I had never seen him play before. And yeah, he came off the bench and, and apparently was like getting out of school like a period early to go and practice to play against Antoine Dupont at the weekend. And there was something so right about it that Cardiff scored the first try of the game. And it's like, oh my God, this is amazing. Could yeah, they yeah. do it? They're not going to do it. But could they do it? Can we just pretend they could do it? And then it was just Antoine bloody Dupont running rings around them in the second half. Well, when they, like, they, they came back and got out of quarantine and actually played a game in Cardiff, the mm. crowd was like, we don't care. We are so yeah. happy to see you. Like yeah. you touched the ball. That's what we wanted. Great job. Like, loved it. Loved it. It was awesome. And like there were some genuinely great like, like the example of like Theo Cabango came through that and we're hang on, he's an actually good prospect we've got here. Yeah, so yeah. There, there was a lot of good that came out of that as well. Was it is it Dan Fish? Is that like people were praising him and then everyone was slamming him the next day? It was one of those weird Twitter things. He's so he's um, a cult hero in Wales, Dan Fish. Okay. So he uh, came through the under-20s about 10 years ago. So sort of the same time as players like Josh Navidi and Tolupe Falatau, Scott Williams, players like that were all in the under-20s. He was the fullback for them. Okay. And 
since then he's just been playing sort of for Cardiff, Cardiff Blues as they have been, um, as kind of like the second choice fullback for about 10, 11 years off the back of that. And the, it's probably because like he's just a solid regional fullback who will just turn up and, you know, kick the ball well, make his tackles and so on. And his name is bloody Dan Fish that everybody just loves him so much. And like the fact that he's just like a kind of lanky ginger. I can hear kid. the crowd being like, fish. Yeah, and feed the fish. Feed the fish yeah. is what they chant as well. And the fact that, because he just announced his retirement just before that game. Um, oh, right, uh, right. And then, they, well, his retirement from professionals. So he said he was going to play down at like Welsh Premiership level. Uh, and then that happened and they said, go oh, fishy, come out of retirement for another game. And he did. Uh, and he did a great job and the crowd loved Go it. fish, go fish. Yeah. So he's a proper like fan favorite. <laughs> and it's like, whenever Dan Fish plays, you will see people on Twitter saying like, he's the greatest player of all time and stuff like that. Just Why because they love him the and he's squad. called fish. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, there's always calls that you should be playing for Wales. Yeah. Or at least the Barbarians. <laughs> so you just hinted at it and I, I it's not in my notes and i just realized i finally have an opportunity to ask somebody who knows what's the deal with the blues thing cardiff were the blues and now it's important to them regionally that they're not the blues and you're not supposed to say the blues they're just cardiff what did the blues mean in the first place is it political like what on earth what's the deal with that i, I wish i knew uh so it was one of those things that um Every, there was a certain like batch of Cardiff fans that always hated it when people just called them the Blues, and I don't get it. I think it's simply because before what did the, the Blues Welsh mean? regions, what, what, what were I, the I don't blues? know because they play in blue. I suppose. There's funny enough, there was something I remember hearing. So uh, this is a bit of a tangent, but uh, James Dean Bradfield from the Manic Street Preachers, their their lead singer, is a fan of the Cardiff Blues. Um, the, the Manic Street Preachers big in America. Oh no. Um, I mean, no. not that I would know, but no, fair enough. Um, but yes, huge band in the UK, Manic um, Street Preachers. But their their lead singer, they're from Wales. Uh, their lead singer, James D. Bradfield, he's a Cardiff Blues fan, and um, he was telling a story about uh, he went to a Cardiff Blues game for the first time this season. Uh, he hadn't gone to see them in eight, like probably in years, and they got absolutely trounced by an English team. They lost by about sixty points. And the first song they played uh, as the team went off the field was That's Why They Call It The Blues by Elton John, which is ingenious. Uh, so I don't know if there's so a connection to do with that. that's why they ditched the blues, yeah. After yeah, that, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but for some reason, yeah, there's a certain group. I think it's partially because of um, uh, the fact that before they were regions, they kind of like nicked the territory of Cardiff RFC uh, as they were beforehand. And for some reason, there was a batch of fans that just hated the fact that there were the Blues. And I never got it. And there was just always arguments on Twitter about the name of the region. I think eventually yeah. they just did to shut people up. It's like, we're called Cardiff and we play in blue, all right? <laughs> so, I mean, the number of leagues I follow, like there's multiple Bears, there's multiple Sharks, there's multiple Chiefs. All that makes sense. But there's there was a Blues in Cardiff and there's a Blues in New Zealand. Mm. I'm like what's the deal with the blues like yeah. how did that happen it, it, it's it's very strange to me yeah if there's anybody any like um anyone who works on playlists and stadiums in new zealand that wants to steal uh, a famous welshman's uh that's why they call it the blues punchline then there it is for free <laughs> well 
I've been keeping a, a little bit of a, a little bit of track of the bizarre songs they're playing in stadiums that are super far away, like in South Africa when they they play uh, "Take Me Home, Country Roads," and mm. uh, I heard "Sweet Home Alabama" recently in South yeah. Africa, and uh, and "Sweet Caroline Travels." Um, <sighs> it's my but... damn Red Sox. It's the it, if you look it up, it's the damn Red Sox. It's our fault. It's right. Okay. My baseball team's fault. Yeah. This, so annoying. It, it started out as a nice that... idea, but. Something I've wondered many times before is like how massive Jack White's paycheck must be every Monday morning when he sees like how many stadiums across the world have been playing Seven Nation Army between every stoppage. <laughs> well, you gotta, you know, if you still get royalty, royalties like Queen, they have three songs at every major sporting event. Yeah. If you, if you win, another one bites the dust. You got We Will Rock You and We Are the Champions. Like, mm. Three songs per game. That's they, they yeah, must yeah. be swimming in it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I know it's 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 probably not a hot take to be like, oh my god, do you, guys, do you think Queen are rich? But <laughs> it it bears repeating. I think they've done all right. Yeah, yeah, they've done okay. Um, you know, um, yeah, I I I imagine that Brian May is not picking up any uh, part time jobs anytime soon. <laughs> He's not making his own guitars anymore. No, 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 no. He's just. Although, sitting... to be fair, he probably is. He probably is, but I think he's mainly sat twiddling his thumbs and thinking about badges. <laughs> he's like, "Should I get my haircut? Should I get my hair? No, not today." So, <laughs> obviously, we're still talking about the URC. Yeah, and, yeah, uh, exclusively. So they introduced these four new South African teams this year. At first, people seemed a little bit worried that they might sort of romp through the whole competition. I think because it was right on the heels of the 2019 uh, Rugby World Cup results. But then the season started, they were hamstrung by the away versus home schedule. And then the bizarreness that came along with Omicron. And they were without Springboks because of international schedules and stuff. But that script seems to have flipped a little bit. So right now, you know, if the playoffs started right now in the URC, there's eight playoff teams. Three of them would be the South African clubs. What's your take on the Rainbow Nation's inclusion in the URC? Has it been a success? Has it been good? Has it been bad? Mm. It's, it's interesting, isn't it? Because I remember when it first they first came over, I was really apprehensive towards it, probably just geographically, thinking mm. it's so far away. Like, what's, what's the point in that? Um, but I think it, it's evidently brought quite a lot of money to the, the the league as well oh. so uh, or at least i believe that's kind of the main incentive to include oh, okay. so many of them i think that uh, there's a lot of kind of backing for those in this league and of course there's the whole thing about the the branding of the urc is that it's run by rock nation which is of course jay-z's yeah, yeah. big uh, corporate sporting corporation thing um so i think that the I, I urc like he, is... i feel like he's not active in the day-to-day yeah 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 i mean it's it's a real shame that jay-z's taking all the credit for this one like you know he him and dj Khaled could at least be turning up to the games couldn't they uh you know sit, sitting in the the north stand in rodney parade on a wet friday night but here they are take, taking all the money at the, and the glory at the end of the day when i was talking to john and craig earlier uh, we were saying uh I feel like they just kind of tricked him. They were like, no, 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 it's just like football. It's just like football. Don't worry. It's like the NFL. It's like the NFL, but in Europe. It's cool. It's cool. And he was like, okay, fine. Here's the money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then they come across like Jevan Sebastian. Like, oh, okay, these are are the athletes that we're after. (laughs) Samson Lee, he's my new favorite player. (laughs) So uh, just quickly... 
Yes. If there is such a thing when we're talking. Um, yes. <laughs> so where are you right now with Welsh rugby? So there are no teams representing Wales in the Heineken Cup. There are no Welsh teams in the Challenge Cup. There's one Welsh mm. team within striking distance of the top eight in the URC, but I don't really fancy, the, fancy their chances. Are these teams hopeful? Like who out of these teams has something to look forward to? Is it just spiraling? What's going on with that? Yeah, I th- the thing is, the uh, the team that I currently have the most hope for is the Ospreys. Mm. Um, even though they are doing fine uh, as far as the season's going, like they're not destroying teams, you know, it's not like they're romping to victories all the time. But once again, much like I was saying about Wales uh, in the, the TikTok Six Nations earlier, uh, I feel like the Ospreys have an extremely good team dynamic uh, and toby booth is doing wonders down there to, to have turned them from where they were when he started to where they are now i enjoy watching the ospreys and look it's not the best ospreys team there's ever been but i think he's getting the best out of them and he clearly has like a true vision in mind for what their where the future lies so they're definitely the team that i hold out the most hope for obviously cardiff um are not in the greatest place right now as much as the uh, Saracens game for them went quite well. The Dragons are the Dragons, and the Scarlets lost to the Dragons. So they did, but Scarlets are still eight points clear on the table of Ospreys right now. Oh, okay, okay. I genuinely did not know that because, the, as you know, Ospreys I don't are look one at game down. They point. haven't played as many, but you know. Right. Okay. Eight no, is a lot. Though, it seems. Yeah, eight is a lot. That is a lot, and I mean the, the Scarlets have been on good form aside from that Dragons game. Like they absolutely whipped Cardiff um, a couple yeah. of weeks back. So um, the Scarlets are a strange team though because they're just they're capable of just pulling it out of the bag on days like that. The, I mean, my theory is as soon as they don't have Johnny McNichol, they just fall to bits. Um, <laughs> like there's just, that it's just pointless playing Scarlets fixtures when Johnny McNichol can't play because they're not the Scarlets anymore. <laughs> So I uh, do have to ask, wither mm. now, Al- Alan Wynne-Jones, are they basically sort of keeping him on the shelf for a Rugby World Cup 2023? Do you want him on that shelf? You know, and please understand, I love the guy. He, he's one of the first people I started wa- when I started watching rugby that I was like, that man is something special. I want to watch yeah. him at any chance I can have. He is a once in a lifetime iconic player. Uh, it's tough that he's in the days of these long shadows. You know, mm. what's up with the man, with the, with the talisman, as they like to say on comms all the time? Yeah. So it's interesting, some of the conversation that sparks around Alan Wynne jones because especially recently, people have said, oh, yeah, we shouldn't play. You know, he uh, shouldn't, you know, go on the Wales tours. He should never play for Wales again and stuff like that. But realistically, we don't know that as fans because... The last three times, realistically, he's come back from injuries. He's been thrust directly into full test match environments where he is starting the games. Yep. And he's not been match fit. And that is on Wayne Pivak and Warren Gatlin to an extent with yeah, the Lions. That's, that's the coaching, right? Yeah, exactly. That he's not been managed properly recently. And you really have to do that when he's, he's his age. Because, like, if you manage him properly, uh, and are sensible with how to manage him. He will still be world class. He'll still be as good as he's ever been. 
but you just need to to figure out you know how to adapt to the fact that he is yeah uh closer to the end of his career than the start of it but, sure um and he knows that and yeah exactly but i, but and, I think he's got some he's got a real fire in him that i think he wants to, to, to do to do a lot more definitely definitely and like um with warren gatland and the lions i understand it because it's the lions test and it's such a unique thing and they only happen once every four years but or three times every four years but um with Wayne Pivak, yeah, throwing him into that All Blacks game at the start of the Awesome campaign last year, and then throwing him directly into that Italy game just for the sake of giving him his 150th cap is what I believe was the case there. And it seemed like he wanted it. At least that's what I read. Yeah, but of, of course, I, that was just people possible. speculating. Yeah, no, I think that is equally possible. But either way, it was it was a bad idea to thrust him in rather than actually managing his injury, getting mm. him back to a level where he's properly ready to, for those internationals, and he will you know, play as well as he ever has, because I truly believe that if he is fully fit and he is well managed, then he, he is the man to take Wales into the World Cup. And I don't know whether that is as captain. And I don't know whether that's as a starting lock, but I think mm. at least off the bench. You want him um, in the locker room. Yeah. And like, he's a massive leader and talisman, as you say. Um, and the thing is like Wales want to win a World Cup uh, and should be wanting to win a World Cup. And he should be the man to help that happen um, in some capacity. Which of these two coaches is more likely to lose their job before the next World Cup? Wayne Pivak or Gregor Townsend? Wayne Pivak, I would say. Uh, really? With what, some confidence. Do you have any idea of the buzz in Wales right now? I know you're not there, but like, do you have a sure. feeling of the fans? Are yeah, they, I, I think... They that... must be frustrated. The Italy game has massively swung it on Pivak. Yeah. And, and the thing is, like, I I don't quite know where I stand with him. Like, I think he is... I mean, I'll quickly start off on Gregor Townsend because I think sure. he is a fantastic coach who really okay. knows what he's doing. And at the minute, the Scotland environment is shaky, but mm. I do feel like he is a proper visionary. And is Scotland that just having... because of Pierre Schumann and when he steps, everything kind of shakes? Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, but yeah, I think uh, Gregor Townsend really does have uh, a good plan. And has done wonderful things with his Scotland team in past. Like his records against England, and let's be honest, as long as they're beating England, Scotland fans are happy. Yeah. Um, <laughs> whereas with Wayne Pivak, is, I mean, he had a lot of pressure on him to fill the boots of Warren Gatland. But um, yeah, it's, it's one of those weird things that... Uh, it's hard to kind of get used to him because he's very different to to Gatland in the clearly in, in that he's trying he keeps promising this kind of more expansive game and so on. When we're kind of seeing the fruits of it, but not massively. It was um, hard to the, see what the the plan of attack was. The Six Nations. I mean, yeah, I, I, it really I, was. I'm obviously like an ignorant viewer, but like I didn't see what they were trying to do. Yeah, point. yeah, and that's a difficult thing because I do know and trust that he is trying to do something, mm. and we as fans find that hard to do because we are not as knowledgeable as he is uh, on these sure. things. So it, it's obviously difficult for us to see, but yeah. Um, what's the point I was about to make? Um, yeah. Basically Wales fans are very skeptical about PVAC. And also he says some dodgy things in post-match like press conferences, oh, and really? stuff, which like does often concern me. Like, he said in a post-match uh, conference after Italy, oh, well, if we make the quarterfinals, everybody will be happy. I was like, hang on, no. Like, Ugh. I'm genuinely still upset about the fact Wales didn't win the World Cup in 2019 because we should have gone on and won the World Cup. 
Um, and it genuinely upsets me that we didn't. And the fact that he doesn't have that same ambition really bothers me. Uh, and like he said, he, yeah, he referred to... Gross. Yeah, he referred to Joy Neville as an inexperienced official, despite the fact that like she is one of the most experienced that, are, that was on the Six Nations panel. Um, he always complains about refereeing decisions all the time, rather than being proactive. And like, I, I hate that. Like when people always fall back on that. It's a proper like boy who cried wolf type thing. Um, yeah, so it, it's there's a few times where Wayne Pivak has gotten under my skin uh, in the things he said in press conferences, but I don't know. I don't have it out for Pivak in the same way half of Wales does, though. There are, there's a lot of people made their minds up about him very early on. Am I right in speculating that one of the problems in Wales is people get upset with the coach, they jettison him, but there's no actual plan for succession. They just say, yeah. okay, you're not good enough anymore. You're out of here. Oh, uh, who's next? Yeah. Oh, you're, you're next. On. Oh, no, you're not good enough either. It seems no, to happen you're a lot. so, so spot on because if Wayne Pivak was, you know, taken out and fired overnight, I literally have no idea who'd replace him because right. the only person I can think of who, well, there's, there's maybe two. One of them is like Toby Booth, I'm on about, who's, who's coached the Ospreys, but he wouldn't fit, frankly. He's doing a great job and at the Ospreys and he would he want like to carry 32? on. Like, he... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and the other one is Johan Cunningham, who is doing too good a job with the Wales women's team. But I want him to just stay there. Right, I don't right. want him to go across to the men's team. Yeah. Like, um, yeah. So basically, just bring back Gatland. <laughs> I, I've actually heard that too. I've actually yeah, heard, yeah. I've actually yeah. Heard that. I'm sure that's going to work. Let's just do that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, Will, my friend. Yes. Last, last time you joined me here, I spontaneously mm. gave you an Are You a True Welsh Fan quiz straight, oh, off the, yes. straight off the BBC website. Unsurprisingly, you stomped it like a bug. <laughs> Naturally, I have to try again, though to be fair, uh, there was no ready-made BBC quiz for me to steal. So it's probably <laughs> going to be a lot easier this time. Okay. But uh, y'all ready for this? I am very excited for this. I really enjoyed it last time. I feel like this one, you're just going to continue to hit grand slams here. Uh, number one, who was the head coach of Wales when regional rugby was first introduced? And I'm told that was 2003. Graham Henry. I've got Steve Hansen listed. Steve here. Hansen. Yeah, I was 50 ah, 50. I was 50 could that 50. Be? Yeah. <laughs> Correct, you are. Ah, that's close. Okay, it's over. I win. No. <laughs> <laughs> so in 2008, Warren Gatland famously named three, uh, 13 Ospreys players in the Wales starting lineup against England at Twickenham. Can you name the two starting players that were not from the Ospreys? Mark Jones and Martin Williams. <sighs> yep. Oh, oh, no, no. Sorry, that's wrong. Martin Williams and Mark Jones. Sorry. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, who made his final appearance for Wales in June 1995 in the 24-23 loss against Ireland in the 1995 Rugby World Cup where he was captain of the side? Jesus Christ, I wasn't born. I know. Um, it wasn't I, Jesus Christ. Uh, that's not my answer. I actually started a play. I, I listed them and I was like, I'm going to put the older ones later just because okay. it's kind of unfair. Uh, 1995. So... I'm guessing you guys are going to get to it on your podcast at some point. Yeah. Yeah. 
1995. Captain so, of Wales in the 1995 World Cup. Captain of Wales. I'm trying to think. So naturally, my mind went to Invictus. Um, uh, and thinking like, who were they taking the piss out of at that point? But no. First um, name. First name Mike. 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 Okay, I'm trying to think if it's somebody that we're current currently on the 87 podcast who then goes on. To, oh yeah, uh, yeah. To be to be captain. I feel like their careers are so much shorter than. Like... Yeah, that is also true. <laughs> Mike, somebody. I don't know why this isn't immediately springing out at me. His last um, name is a feature of most uh, buildings in between rooms. Mike Lintel, Mike Dahl. <laughs> yes. Mike Hall is who I'm looking Mike for. Hall. Mike Hall, Mike Hall. Who, who I had never heard of, so it's not like I can claim. Uh, I, I Yeah, I am familiar with Mike Hall. I should have got that. Mr. Sam Warburton. He made his de- debut. for the. He, he made his debut for <laughs> the Senior Wales national team against the United States in June of which year? 2009, while the lines were away. That's exactly right. Are you a fan of Sam Orbiton? I feel like he's I a controversial figure in some way. Oh, I love him. I love him. He's like as a player, as a pundit, as a captain, as just a figure. I, I just adore him. Uh, like everything he says and does, I worship. Um, he's brilliant. No, he's just, uh, he was a brilliant role model for me growing up, actually, because he oh, was yeah? a Wales captain when I was like, for like getting re- like, I'd just gotten really addicted to rugby as he was made captain. And oh. yeah, he was he was a really, really great role model. Oh wow. Uh, I, I loved him. And he's I still one of those larger than life people, isn't he? Yeah. And like he's a brilliant pundit and commentator as well now it's the, these days. Great analyst. Yeah, I just love him. So in two thousand five, a French ban on advertising alcohol posed a problem for the Wales shirt logo. So the logo was changed. They changed it to what? Oh, um, so yeah, I, so it used to be like, uh, it was the brains, uh, beer yep. logo, wasn't it? Yep. Did they, did, did they change it to say try on it? They, they changed it to brawn. Wow. <laughs> wow. Like a paper um, towel. Okay. I didn't remember. For some reason I seem to have it in my head that at some point they had try written on their shirt instead. Uh, that must have been like, you know, the kids' versions of the shirt or something. Um, well, I, I think I've told you before, like, um, as, a, as a young, like, you know, I don't know, late teenager, mm. as somebody who wanted to, to like rugby, but there's no way to, to watch it. Sometimes you yes. come home, you know, during college, you, you come home and it's 2 a.m. and you're like, well, I can't go to sleep yet, so I'll turn on ESPN 3. Oh, and there's a rugby game on. And I'm like, mm. oh, and there's people in the crowd. And they're holding signs and say, try. And I was like, oh, of course. Yeah, yeah. Try. That's it. Not not kill him, not get him, <laughs> not, you know, I'm like try. Do your best. Do your best. <laughs> we won't be disappointed. Have fun and take part or else. <laughs> Participation trophies for everybody. <laughs> Rick values. <laughs> okay. Which nation has inflicted the biggest ever defeat on Wales? It was in June Ooh. 1998. I believe South Africa. That is absolutely right. Do you remember what the score was? Um, I'm going to take huge. punt 97 nil. 96 to 13. Oh. Damn. Oh, oh, at least got 13. Oh, yeah, that's worth something. Well, I know. <laughs> that's, that's not nothing. Who made his test debut for Wales in June 2006 against Argentina playing as a blindside flanker? 
Alamon Jones. That is the man we were just talking about, the talisman himself. Shane Williams' last try was against which country? Australia. Do you, remember, do you know what try it was for him? Was uh, so 58 for Wales, 60 50, including Lions. 58, that's exactly right. Who was the Welsh fly half when Wales last beat New Zealand? It was a 13 to 8 win at Cardiff Arms Park. Jesus. In so, 1953. Oh my yeah, god! Yeah, I was to say it might have actually been Jesus this time. Like it was that <laughs> long ago. Um, it might have been one off. of his disciples. I know who scored the winning try. The winning try was scored by Ken Jones from a crossfield kick from a guy called Clem Thomas, who I believe was a flanker, not a fly half. Mm. So I, I genuinely have no idea. Maybe, I think maybe Cliff Morgan was playing in those days. So I'm going to say Cliff Morgan. It's Cliff Morgan. Are no. You kidding me? Are you kidding me? <laughs> oh, what a, what a great punt that was. What would he be, your your granddad? Yeah, a bit more than that, I think, yeah. I'm sure you know this one. Which player was the first to score a try at the newly built Millennium Stadium in 1999? Mark Taylor. Mark Taylor's the answer. Who did Jeremy, Jeremy Guscott describe as the fastest prop I've ever played with? Oh, a Welsh player, I presume. Yes. Because uh, naturally, the first one that comes to mind is Gethin Jenkins, but I'm not sure their careers overlapped. Um, in fact, no, I, I, they, they wouldn't, wouldn't have. That's, that's a really difficult one. Um, it's a good quote. Yeah, it is a good quote. And I, I'm, trying to, I'm trying to think. What is Jeremy of... Guscott now doing comms somewhere? I feel like a... He was, but is kind of been let go in recent years oh okay um, yeah he, he's just gotta go yeah. yeah oh very good very good um oh i'm really struggling to think who that might have been and what era that would have been i'm afraid i can't help no no um so i'm i'm gonna take a completely because it, it wouldn't have been Gethin Jenkins because that's too late. It is not. It's not, not going to be Die Young because he was slow. Uh, it's not I actually deleted like... the Die Young question I had in here because I figured it'd be too too easy for you. Okay, okay. <laughs> um, I'm going to take a random punt and say Martin Madden. Oh, Scott Gibbs is who we're looking for. Oh, oh very, very oh. funny, Jerry Rickuskut. I never heard of him. I don't know. If he He's, a He's a center. He's a center. Um, oh, but that's the very, joke. Oh, it was a joke. He's a very sizable center, so he's made a joke. Okay, oh, okay, wow. that makes me feel a lot better. Yeah, yeah. Um, that uh, very my... like he's a household name in Wales because of a try he scored against England in 1999 to win um, in Wembley, uh, which is excellent. Uh, and yeah, he never has to buy a drink in Wales again. <laughs> well, can you name the forward that has scored over a hundred points for Wales? Oh, so I believe the forward to score the most trifle Wales is Colin Charvis. That is Colin Charvis. 110 points, in fact. Excellent. As of 2020, which Welsh player has the most British and Irish Lions test caps? Alamon Jones. So the, I literally wrote next to this. Is that actually right? Because what I what it read was Graham Price. Is that possible? As of 2020, you're right. Yeah, yeah. Is that is that the problem? Um, is is the, the two years subsequent? 
Yeah, I'd imagine so. Yeah, and also they did more tours back then, so it would be Graham Price. Yeah. Okay. So okay, Mulligan. I I concede defeat on that question. <laughs> well, obviously, I know all of these things. I'm, I'm like Alex Trebek. I'm like, oh, <laughs> obviously, it was Alan Winchester. Yeah. I, I just pretend. Too I'm, bad. Yeah. So as of 2020, five mm. Welsh players have won the Six Nations Player of the Tournament. Alan Wynne Jones and Shane Williams are two. Can you name the other three? That's an excellent question. It's a good one, eh? So, You've yeah. already said one of their names once. Um, Dan Lydiot has won it once. Yep, 2012. Um, I feel like the one I've already said. Has Sam Warburton won it? He has not, at least not. according to my half-assed research. No. Um, this is 2005. 2005, okay. So... This is the name you've already said. Oh, okay. Interesting. Um, Mark Taylor, maybe? Martin Williams. Martin Williams. Martin Williams. Of course, of course it was Martin Williams. I don't. And then the year after Dan Lydiot in 2012, we had somebody in 2013. So 2013, we won the tournament. That's the one where we beat England 30 points to three that I don't... It was Lee Halfpenny. It was Lee Halfpenny. It was Lee Halfpenny. That's exactly right. He was one of the Player of the Year nominees that year. I love Lee Halfpenny. Oh, I love him. I adore him. He's great, a, a, a fantastic player, Wales legend. So <laughs> they're almost impossible from here on out, I would think. Okay, okay. I think I'm doing all right this time. This oh, time. yeah. You, you're still knocking it out of the park. Uh, but for, I think 1981 is the earliest <laughs> question I have left. Oh, okay. In I'm braced. The 1981 Five Nations, who captained Wales against England and scored. 14 points to give Wales a 21-19 victory at home. First name, um, Steve. Steve Fenwick? Steve Fenwick is the man. That's good. That's good. Earlier than that, in which year did Gareth Edwards retire from rugby? Um, I'm going to guess 1979? Eight, 1978. Oh, so, oh, so good. Okay. <laughs> in 1967, which 18 year old center playing at fullback scored 19 Keith points? Keith Jarrett. Keith Jarrett is the answer before I finish the question. <laughs> why oh, do you know? Man. Why do you know that? Is that a big? Uh, is that a big? Uh, for some reason, his there's a try he scored there on debut, which is just really famous in Wales for some reason. It says here um, a famous breathtaking try. Yeah, yeah, it was it it was a great try to be fair for the you know especially for the sixties. Yeah, for some reason he's quite a famous one cap. I think he did one more a few more caps than that, but uh, for somebody who wasn't like, didn't have an especially long career, for some reason he's a really well known name in Wales, and I don't really know why. Final question. Can you name the Welsh fan who knows more than any other fan I can think of, who is also <laughs> one of the greatest ever guests in the entire history of the illustrious Scrum of the Earth podcast? Um, trying to think what other Welsh guests you've had on now. Um, have you had Josh Gardner yet? <laughs> no. Oh, oh, oh Josh, he, he's busy. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Though to be uh, fair, uh, tomorrow uh, tomorrow morning, my time, I get to talk to uh, Carwin Harris of the Uneducated Rugby Podcast, and uh, that'll be nice to get a, a, a new perspective on things. 
There we go. There we go. See if he outdoes me in the quizzing, uh, the the Welsh rugby pub quiz uh, malarkey. <laughs> and no offense to him, but there's no way. There's just no <laughs> way. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I, enjoy, I enjoyed that quiz again i uh it it feels good finally being able to put all of this ridiculously useless knowledge to good use <laughs> see all that time you spent playing your video games and everything it's all yeah yeah and like you know obscure welsh rugby trivia is one of the like very few things in the world i'm quite nerdy about so yeah i was actually impressed that the, the place i stole these questions from when I looked it up, it, I, I looked up this place and it was like, here's 20 questions. And I was like, oh, that's impressive. Cause they were legit. The first one I, I clicked on was weak sauce. It was like, you know, where is Wales? And mm. the next one was legit and had 20 questions. And then I scrolled down to look at the answers and it was like part two. I was like, whoa. <laughs> so mind blowing. Yeah, yeah, there is stuff out there's, there. Um, have you ever used Sporkle, the website Sporkle? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so there's a lot of good like Welsh rugby stuff on there that me and my brother have challenged ourselves to and we've been bored uh, before on, like a Friday night and neither of us had anything to do. Like we have spent a lot of nights in our youth uh, on Welsh rugby sporkle. Not for a few years now, I don't think. But yeah, there's a, a lot of fun stuff on there that we've ticked off. So that's probably where a lot of it comes up. That's one of my better sporkle, um, uh, <laughs> yes, uh, specialist subjects. Well, Will, my friend. This has been amazing. You know, one of my yes. favorite things is having wonks in my life. And you, good sir, are very that. <laughs> Will Owen, no, thank you. Thank you again so much for joining us here on the Scrum of the Earth uh, to share your wit, your humor, your insight, your absurdly deep and profound trivia knowledge. You just, you, you, you always will find a welcome space here. I can't wait to talk to you again. Maybe we'll do some MLR chat sometime soon. That would be my pleasure. No, no, thank you, David, for having me back on the podcast. It's it's been a lot of fun. Uh, as I say, I, I always enjoy coming here. So, uh, yes. Oh, oh, oh! Th that does remind me. What's up with the San Diego Legion? I I, I can't figure them out. The, the, earlier this year, I was like, oh, here they come. They're back. They they look as strong as they've been. I don't know what's up with them right now. Do you have a take on them? Not a clue. But as long as we've got Nono, I'm happy. <laughs> I know that feeling. Will, my friend, I hope you can, uh, that you continue to play and report on only the best rugby. You are a person among people. I'm very happy to know you. Thank you for joining me again to chat rugby. I hope to catch you very soon. Thank you. That's very touching. And that sentiment is very much shared.